This is episode 293, and it is entitled Disco Inferno, referring to the excerpt we have just heard from The Tramps, quote, anthemic, end of quote, song from the late 70s, in which the lead singer has the line repeated twice at least, burn that blankety-blank down, burn that uh, down. And um, I wanted to bring your attention to the um, devastating, uh, illusory, and yet controlling uh, power of the world, which uh, creates um, impressions and connections and bindings and institutions and worldviews that are um, necessary to be deconstructed and, as it were, burned down. And I'm not talking about either what the 60s did, the late 60s did. They burned down the entire place uh, in favor of other uh, elements of rebellion and, uh, quote, um, what's the word, Uh, uh, subversion. And uh, I'm not going to talk about that because that's, uh, you know, you may have a different view than I do, and that's fine. Uh, Nor am I going to talk about um, institutions and uh, sort of controlling demonic networks, to quote Paula White. People thought she was talking about, you know, a cable network, and she was talking about uh, like a spider's web that was metaphorical and unseen, seeing beyond the natural, as she would say, to the supernatural. But um, I'm not even going to talk about networks in present perspective, whether you're on the right or the left or here or there, which are very powerful. They're extraordinarily powerful uh, influences on us. Um, I'm just going to say, uh, give an example, two examples of um, of how um, something is uh, controlling that we really would want to burn down. But then, instead of uh, talking about this in current forms or ideological forms, I want to direct you to that which is universal, and that which is ultimately most engrossing, and certainly the essential meaning of existence. And to do that, I'm I'm going to talk about the carpenters and talk about themes that you've heard me talk about before, but I hope in a rather um, in a rather new way, given where we are currently. And um, let's see. Um, here's an example of what I'm talking about in terms of uh, something that would be burned down. Uh, in terms of a principality and power, I'll distance it a bit. Um, there's a uh, parish that was once very well known to me, and known to me for 25 years, and extremely well known to me for at least 10. And um, that parish uh, has recently been in the news in various places for having been, uh, there was a tremendous hemorrhage there and a <clears throat> problems between uh, the governing local govern, governing uh, members of the church and uh, the higher adjudicatories. Um, and um, the higher adjudicatories uh, have won completely the legalities of this split and really sad situation somewhere of a parish. And um, it's been all over the news. It's been on the various denominational um, news services and related ones, conservative and liberal of all sorts, and it's spread to the Church Times. There was a big article about it in the Church Times, and I trust the basic fairness of the Church Times in England. And um, uh, it involves a victory that has been won by the judicatory against a kind of piratical um, group, shall we say, uh, the the entire membership of the former parish that... uh, lost uh, a struggle against um, against the higher authority, as always happens, really, uh, is going to happen in our polity. And um, then I just by chance happened to read um, an interview with a member of the opposing group. I'd not read anything of them, and I didn't. I knew the situation somewhat, and certainly knew it long ago very closely. It's completely changed. And then... Um, 
a fact was written in this on this more conservative website that I do not like, but I was directed there because of a comment that somebody else had made. And out of this interview with an unnamed person came a fact that was not mentioned in any of the other uh, articles about this, which all took sort of one side or one line. It seemed to be going from the establishment point of view. And this one particular fact was so egregious and so remarkable and so funny. Uh, it, it was really a laugh, uh, but you, you want to cry. Uh, but the fact was so revealing and so important and so basically primary, and it had been left out in all the other coverages. And I thought to myself, you know, this is interesting, isn't it? Um, a, a, uh, I'm being told by the uh, by the the things that maybe should be burned down and at the level of truth only at the level of truth not at the level of of uh, at the level of accuracy uh, accurate observation I'm being told something that is basically profoundly untrue if another fact were brought into it which has been conveniently unsaid and yet it was said very clearly and credibly because I, I know enough about the other confirming facts that I'm uh, and someone else had confirmed this fact whom I asked about it who lives near near where that parish is, because I don't live anywhere near it. And, oh, my heavens. Uh, so I thought to myself, you know, this is a perfect example of when we're, where there's a power and a principality that is telling us one thing, but they're, but, but it's convenient to, to hide one other fact, which renders all the previous facts almost anachronistic or uh, irrelevant, given from an ultimate point of view. And, oh, my heavens. Um, well, then I thought about this book that I recommended to you called The Chain, remember from 1949 by Paul I. Wellman about the wonderful Episcopal priest, really saintly guy who um, runs uh, into um, trouble with his uh, vestry to say the least. And uh, in the um, in the thing, this is not a spoiler because it's general, a, a newspaper article is presented, uh, a newspaper that is run by an antagonistic uh, lady, sort of the Catherine Graham type picture. This man who wrote it, Paul Wellman, was a professional journalist and he, he knew a lot about journalism and people who own papers and people who wish they own papers and people who don't own papers. And um, an article is published that is completely accurate in the book. It's accurate about a main character in the book and very damning. However, the article conveniently omits two facts which completely 180 degrees alter the... Uh, the interpretation you would give to the previous facts. In other words, the article that was put out is true as far as it goes, but two major, I wouldn't want to say extenuating, I would say two major clarifying or illuminating facts are left out that completely alter 180 degrees the weight and the value and the morality and the um, ultimate drives of the original article, but by then it's too late. And to its credit, Paul Wellman uh, gives a situation where the editor of the paper actually prints an apology. It's too late. But the editor of the paper, she does print uh, an apology for having left out convenient facts, which totally change it. Well, I thought to myself, well, you know, this, that's the kind of, that's the kind of um, controlling interest in life, whether it's in academia or in professional life or in the church or whether it's in marriages or wherever it is, but it's primarily in institutions. Um, Dartmouth, you know. Um, these... Um, 
these at Harvard, the final clubs, these are these are institutions which you sort of think to yourself, like the tramps, you burn that money. You know I mean, if they're able to 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 to, to hide. Now, I want to, however, not go there. Really, talk about ideology. I want to talk about the really interesting thing. Um, these uh, institutions and uh, historical forces that are all around us, whether they're in uh, church terms or in. Uh, University of Kent State, Watergate, whatever you want to call it, they are in fact secondary. And one of the most powerful institutional errors that we're all getting, and it's an error, it's a, it's a profound diagnostic error, I, I would call it that, a profound untruth that we're getting everywhere. And this is not a statement that is right-wing, left-wing, liberal or conservative, political in any way, shape, or form, but the, the statement is that um, the... Uh, um, the notion that you and I are fundamentally interested in and affected by fundamentally um, transient political and or historical contextual movements, while at times, yes, if we're in Dresden in 1945, yes, or if we're in, you know, uh, we get, Mary was almost killed by a a mortar shell from a Palestinian uh, refugee camp near Bethlehem. She was, Mary was almost killed by a a mortar shell that went off track uh, and uh, popped into the wall behind her, popped, Uh, an extraordinary event, never forget it as long as we live, but um, the power of a of a, um, with those exceptions, most of the things that you're thinking about or being told to think about or being told are important and vital and key and absolutely crucial for your fulfillment are in fact not so. The things that are crucial for your fulfillment are in fact not those things. They are not the things you'll be thinking about. You will not be thinking about Watergate. Well, maybe if you're John Dean, you will be, but you will not be thinking about Watergate or what's going on currently in this country when it comes time for you to lay down your earthly course. You will not. I, I, I can say that to you as strongly and sincerely as I possibly can. You can disagree, but I defy you to give me examples of people who, uh, when the time comes for the real, real reflecting on life that is urgent and necessary and vital and absolutely impossible to avoid, you will not find people thinking about historical, personal, political, even catastrophic things like the Johnstown flood. They may come into it, but the overwhelming thing you'll be thinking about is um, connection, with individuals, relationships with either your children, your parents, your wife, your husband, uh, past relationships, present relationships, lost relationships, fulfilled relationships, grateful relationships. That is what you will be thinking about. Uh, Someone um, who died, who I admired, he said uh, at the end of his life, he said, I die, um, I was born into love and I was raised from love, out of, I've raised from the soil or the earth of love, I married into love, and I uh, feel that I'm dying uh, surrounded by love. Now, that's the most important thing in the world. Connection, the loss of connection, um, uh, rejection. Uh, These are the things that uh, stay with you, not um, secondary circumstances. Now, let me give you one example of this that I think is funny but true. See if you can identify with it. There is an album, and I think it was the second one, but I'm not sure, but I think it was the second album by The Carpenters, the wonderful duo, The Carpenters, that was released in, I think, early 1970, but I have the album, and it was called uh, Close to You, and it has on it the Burt Bacharach, uh, Hal David song, Close to You, on the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream come true, so they sprinkled gold dust in your hair, and da-da-da-da-da-da, your eyes are blue, that is why all 
the girls in town follow you around? Just like me, they long to be close to you. I mean, I can recite that from memory, by the way. I'm not reading it. Now, why can I recite that from memory? Um, I'll tell you something interesting. When you read reviews of this, uh, it's uh, the Rolling Stone, I think, uh, Rolling Stone magazine put it as number 175 on the list of the 500 albums of all time, best albums of all time. That's very high praise, 175 out of 500. That is really, really high praise. And uh, the reviews of it almost always say something to this effect. The album was a bit of a sleeper. People didn't really notice it because it was right in the middle of tremendous national convulsions in the United States, and it sort of crept in and people didn't really, they were way more interested in what was going on and, you know, da-da-da and Nixon coming for dead in Ohio. You know, that's what, that's the interest lay there. Well, uh, that's not true. That's a, that's a narrative. Uh, because when uh, anyone who lived in that time, uh, yes, we remember four dead in Ohio. Yes, we remember the student strike. Yes, we remember the, oh gosh, I mean, I can give you chapter and verse. And you can give me chapter and verse of different catastrophic events that have happened on campus or in your life or when you were in the army or when you were, you know, things that you remember that were happening politically at a time. <clears throat> but what you really remember is the songs. Didn't, didn't Karen Carpenter sing, uh, all you get from love is a love song? All you really get from love is a stupid love song. <laughs> you lose the love, but you have the song, and it's painful every time you hear it. Um, the uh, song close to you, if you want to ask me what I was thinking about in 1972, end of 1972, beginning of 1973, um, it was not all the convulsions that were still going on in the college campuses. Tremendous, tremendous change. I mean, good Lord, I, I don't even want to start to tell you the stories I can tell, but I, I, I will maybe another time. But that's not what I remember. I remember close to you. Why? Because <laughs> Mary and I, uh, I associated with Mary, my wife, of 46 years. We were, uh, I got her, poor kid, I got her to, to drive me, because I didn't have a car and she did, a cool car. I got her to drive me to a, an early uh, perform, uh, uh, for evening performance of Night of the Living Dead, the movie by George Romero that was beginning to make a real real impact in 72 and 73. And I got Mary to drive me to see uh, when it was really hot in Boston, Night of the Living Dead. Now, it's not really a very good movie. It was very, um, you know, subversive. It really wasn't subversive at all. If you want to be subversive now, be on the traditional side of any question. But then we all thought, oh, this is so subversive. And I wanted to see it because I was interested in the scene when apparently the the young girl eats somebody's arm or something like that. I thought that was so cool. Well, I mean, I mean, poor Mary, can you imagine having to sit through here? She's got a hard-working job. I'm the student. She's the working person. He's got a very hard job in the women's oncology floor at Massachusetts General Hospital, MGH, and I'd force her, not force her, but I persuade her to drive me to see Night of the Living Dead. And as we were going home, I was grateful to her. I was, I thought it was so wonderful that she'd done it, and I was really very much you know, smitten. And uh, the song comes on the radio, Close to You. Oh my gosh! And then I think we saw it in a. There's a movie called The Goodbye. No, it's called The Goodbye. The Goodbye Girl, or is it called The Comeback Kid, or The Heartbreak Kid? The Heartbreak Kid. I think. Uh, what's your name? That beautiful tall blonde who became so famous with that television show. Her name escapes me. Uh, she was in it. I think it's called The Heartbreak Kid. And uh, uh, as we were somehow in connection with that movie, that song is close to you. And the song was big at that point, And we were listening to radio. And so when I think of those years that were full of 
campus. Everybody was so serious and so upset and so angry about everything. Mainly on the left, it just has to be said, because I was at Harvard Divinity School at that point. Um, all I really think about is Close to You and Mary and Night of the Living Dead. Now, what does that say? What's important in life? Well, there's a line in uh, Jubal Troop, which is also by Paul Wellman, who wrote The Chain, and it's an earlier Western in which Jubal Troop, very, very troubled. He's had a terrible life. He's only 18, and he has had an appalling life of rejection and loss of parents and bad... Every, he's been treated terribly, and he's 18, and he meets a girl named Naoma, and they're walking sort of where the camp of the wagons... It's a Western, and he's walking happens to be, he's a very honorable fellow, more or less, and he's holding her hand as they walk very chastely, but very much in love, he is, and they walk down to sort of a stream, and he's holding her hand, and the author says, at this point, for the first time in his life, Jubal was a little bit close to the true meaning of existence. (laughs) In other words, all of the other things that had happened to this fellow, all the terrible things, and there were many, at that point, in the connection with Naoma, he was, um, he was closer to the true meaning of existence than ever before. And of course, he loses it very quickly eventually to be restored, but um, that's the close to you is much closer to the true meaning of existence, I might add, so is Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> but um, than uh, a million different um, um, current uh, activist agenda of any sort. So you need to ask yourself, what, what's really important in life? Is it, is it all these political uh, partisan um, identities? Well, th- that may feel so, but I challenge you. Those, those identities, whatever they may be, and those forces probably fall into the heading of, um, of those things which burn that, mother, <laughs> burn that mother down, hush your mouth, shaft. John Shaft. Um, these uh, are really the great uh, issues of life. Uh, connection, loss of connection, resentment, loss, I mean, uh, rest- restoration, um, belovedness, um, gratitude uh, for what's been given in your relational life. That is really the core of it, and that is why Close to You and The Carpenters and the album entitled Close to You will never date. Whereas everything else we're talking about, you know, when I'm dying, I'll barely forget. I mean, I'll barely remember this rally or that rally or this uh, hearing or that hearing of the House Judiciary Subcommittee on whatever it is. I'll barely – and I was in it. I worked in Washington for three years, three three periods in the U.S. Congress with a Democratic congresswoman. We were right in it, but I barely remember what we were thinking about. I do remember, however, some of the people I knew then. Maggie May, but more importantly, close to you. Now we're going to end with a song also by the Carpenters that is the absolute essence of uh, the love that uh, never ends. It was originally a Christian, soft Christian pop song that was then um, de-Christianized, but not fully. Uh, it's really about the nature of, uh, of love in a most loving manner, and the Carpenters sang it on their... Um, very first, uh, that album, I think the second album, Close to You, the same album. And uh, listen to it, and uh, I'll uh, probably end it, uh, the excerpt that I'll play, right after uh, the uh, brother of Karen Carpenter goes, listen for it. God bless.
Shout about love and the wars will all end You can shout, we're all brothers And even pretend But you can't cover up the past Just pretend